Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports, part of our uh, season preview package, and we're going to be talking Washington Wizards today, which is one of the more interesting teams just because it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go and what they're going to do with Bradley Beal, who might be the biggest trade chip potentially out there on the block, except they don't really want to move him. We'll get into all of that with Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington. Uh, first, just a reminder, we're back with these podcasts now at least once a week, sometimes two. Go in and subscribe, uh, whether you're doing it on Spotify or through iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, Google Play. Also, leave a comment. Let us know what you want to do. And, of course, you can reach us at any time. Just PBT Podcast. PBT is in Pro Basketball Talk. PBT Podcast at gmail.com. Send us questions, send us comments, send us thoughts. We're trying to uh, make this something you guys want to listen to throughout the year. So without further ado, let's get into this and start talking some Wizards. And as promised, we've got Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington who covers the Wizards, the Wizards Insider for them. How you doing, Chase? Doing great, Kirk. Uh, getting ready for this thing to get started uh, with the Wizards. Uh, should be an interesting year for sure. Yeah, because we were just saying we haven't really seen each other for a while. We didn't cross paths in Vegas. I think the last time we were hanging out, we were drinking what I will say is not the best wine ever at the uh, media <laughs> hospitality <laughs> in Charlotte. In Charlotte, yeah. Yeah, that's right, at the All-Star Game, uh, which was uh, an interesting time for the Wizards. A lot has happened since. Yeah, a lot has happened since. It's funny, I was starting to you know go over this and talk, thinking about the Wizards a lot, but then thinking about what to talk about for this podcast. And I just, I feel like we need to just go out a bunch of people and buy Tommy Shepard a drink because <laughs> that guy has walked into, I mean, he's done, I think, a good job so far, but he's walked into a situation where for the last year, they've made a bunch of moves that maybe, I mean, maybe you could defend them individually, but as a group make I can't figure out what the direction is. I can't figure out what's what the plan is. Yeah, it is fascinating because uh, obviously he was part of the old regime. Right. And then he was the interim GM, and now he's the GM, and he's kind of got this mess that he was part of creating, right? You know, you look back at some of those moves that were made throughout the season, some of the trades they made. They made so many deals that they suited up a franchise record, uh, 25 players this season. But some of the trades they made were win-now moves. It was like, you know, trade Kelly Oubre for uh, Trevor Ariza. Uh, you know, trade Otto Porter for Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis. A bunch of guys that they ended up letting walk in free agency. And they didn't even get, you know, draft pick compensation or any, any real draft pick compensation for those players. So uh, it was really kind of a short-sighted strategy. And Tommy Shepard was part of it, and now he's kind of got to deal with it. Um, I think he did pretty well this offseason, but I think the real test moving forward is how many pieces can he find? Because I, I've made the argument that what he's done so far is 
kind of the easy part. You know, tearing down a roster is the easy part. Building it up and finding real concrete pieces that can help you win is really what separates the, the good GMs from the ones that aren't very good. Well, I think, yeah, that's very true. And I, I it's interesting, though, when you were mentioning that, like the two trades they made, was that Ernie Grunfeld trying to save his job? But I think, or even was that, I think more likely, was that just Ernie Grunfeld and Ted Leonsis and that was their style? This is a franchise that seemed to make a ton of short-term thinking moves over the last decade rather than thinking about building something sustainable long-term. It was absolutely about him saving his job because uh, Ted Leonsis, their owner, puts, I think, a greater importance than a lot of other owners on simply making the playoffs. I think he sees that as an accomplishment. Um, and obviously, franchises get a, get a, I think it's like a million dollars a home game or something like that. There's some money involved. And you just look at the timeline of when Ernie Grunfeld was fired, very, very late in the year. Um, you know, he could have fired him much earlier than that when the, it was becoming clear they were outside of, out of the playoff picture. But it wasn't until they were actually eliminated and they came back from a road trip that they fired Ernie Grunfeld. So, you know, one question that um, Ted was asked at uh, Tommy Shepard's press conference in July was, you know, if they had made the playoffs, would Ernie Grunfeld still be the manager, or the general manager? And, of course, he didn't really answer that directly. But I think it's fair to, to question that because that did seem to be the goal. It was, it, was, it was that simple. That was the barometer. If they made the playoffs, maybe Ernie would have stuck around. They didn't, so he's gone. And I think a lot of those moves were simply Ernie trying to make the team better in the very, very short term by getting guys like Trevor Ariza, um, and, and Bobby Portis to try to do whatever they could to get into the playoffs, and obviously it didn't work. And, and since then, I mean, during that longer search for GM, Leons has talked about, as an owner, finally kind of learning, I don't want to say learning how to own a team, but, but moving along that ownership learning curve and talking to other owners, talking to other teams about how they do things and why they do them that way, because it was a very straight structure before, right? I mean, it was Leonsis talked to Grunfeld and basically nobody else, and that allowed Grunfeld to kind of, I want to say, control the narrative to him a little bit. Um, now he's kind of tried to put in a more modern style, uh, collaborative front office, but does that, how much skepticism comes with that in Washington? Well, I think there's a, a good deal of skepticism. I think any time you're kind of reorganizing a front office, it's going to be a lot of unknowns. You know, very rarely do you have uh, sure things that you put in place, but certainly there were some parts of the process that irked fans. I think the, the fact that it took so long, you know, what Ted Leonsis was doing was first he kind of took a, a full sweeping uh, you know, view of the organization. As you mentioned, he, he didn't really talk to anyone beyond Ernie Grunfeld, so he wanted to talk to a lot of people both within the organization and around the world of sports and kind of see what was missing from their operation. And what he found is that they had a much smaller front office than some of the more modernized teams like the Clippers and the, the Rockets and the, uh, the Sixers, I think, especially in their analytics departments. It's much more robust. So he, he, he decided he wanted to add a, a lot of people. And, you know, it took a while, and he ended up promoting Tommy Shepard, who uh, Wizards fans, a lot of them, even though he'd been here 16 years already, had never really heard the name because he never addressed the media. It was always Ernie Grunfeld that kind of took uh, the credit and the blame for everything. And they didn't know who he was, and they just kind of assumed that he's a holdover from, from Grunfeld and that he thinks in the same way. So obviously there was some skepticism there. And then bringing in Sashi Brown is kind of the other main pillar of their front office, a guy from the NFL who uh, you know obviously has a 
all these things, but he's not a basketball guy. And his strategy in Cleveland with the Cleveland Browns is debatable how much it actually works. So certainly there's some skepticism, but I think that's pretty normal for this stage of a franchise. Anytime you're hiring a new GM or a new coach, unless they have proven themselves to an, you know, an amazing degree elsewhere, um, they're going to be unknowns. But I personally think that what they did was pretty smart in beefing up the front office with a lot of specialized roles and, and looking at the Clippers as the model to follow. And I th- I, I'm kind of with you on that one. I, you know, Sashi Brown himself, whatever happened in Cleveland happened, but I, I'm a fan in general of bringing in a diverse set of people to talk to each other in that front office and having a more collaborative process. Um, because I think that diversity of opinions helps you s- see things in different ways and approach things in ways you might not otherwise do it. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of applaud that. I applaud the idea of at least trying to think outside the box and trying to go that direction. I guess the question now becomes, like, what is the plan? Is it rebuilding while being competitive? Or, because like you said, he's valued making the playoffs, or are we talking a full-on rebuild? I think it's it's the, the former. It's, it's not a full-on rebuild. The way they've kind of classified it is a retool or a reset. And basically what they would like to do is maybe take one step backwards this season and hopefully the following season take two steps forward. That's why they're not trading Bradley Beal. They have no interest in trading him, um, even though logic and reason would suggest that they should at least consider it. They want to keep him. They want to kind of overhaul the roster around him, get a bunch of younger players that are cheaper with higher upside and see what they can turn those guys into. I I think it's unlikely that they make the playoffs this season. You know, the over-unders in Vegas have them anywhere between 26 and 28 and a half wins. That's probably 10 wins fewer than you're going to need to get to the playoffs. I think their, their ceiling is maybe you know 35 to 38 wins. But I think ideally what they want to see out of this season is progress from their young players. You know, Can some of the recent draft picks that they've either made themselves or traded for either show progress enough to be building blocks for their own future or show enough process to, progress to become trade assets so that you know, the Wizards could be more competitive the next time one of these stars is disgruntled and wants to leave their team. And, you know, maybe they can turn some of these younger players, if a collection of them emerge, into an all-star pair with Brad Levine and, of course, John Wall when he ultimately comes back from his injury. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to let us quickly skip over the Beal thing. I, I, <laughs> um, it's interesting. I know there's a lot of people who out there were like, well, he'll ask out. No, he won't, actually. Not this year, because he wants the Supermax, right? Like he was seventh in NBA All NBA voting last year, which left him him and Clay happily. Clay will happily tell you how pissed he is at that. Um, just out of you know making the All NBA and getting that supermax, he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot this year. And that yes, this is not like you said, it's not gonna probably be a very good team, but he's gonna put up some numbers and he's going to have at a Kemba Walker way last year a shot at making All NBA. Um, because of the numbers he's going to put up and the way the load he's going to have to carry for that team. And he wants that massive extension. I don't think he wants to go anywhere, and I don't think he's asking out yet. I don't think so either. Uh, you know, I did an interview with him at the All-Star Weekend where he said that he would never request a trade. Uh, and, you know, he, he says all the right things. Says that he, he even said that weekend to Chris Haynes that he wants to die in a Wizards jersey. So, to the most extreme terms they can possibly use, he has said the right things about wanting to stay in Washington. And, you know, I think what he wants is more than what the Wizards are probably going to be able to provide him this season. But he has said he doesn't want to join a super team. I think he just wants to be on a competitive playoff team so where he, he can be playing in May and, you 
June and, and really be playing on the biggest stage at the NBA level. I, I don't think he's going to go join a, a Warriors team like, like Kevin Durant did, but you know, certainly it, it, you wonder whether the timelines can match up uh, between these sides. But as far as the All-NBA thing, certainly that's a consideration. Um, I think uh, the expectation is that Bradley Beal will, will you know, try to bet on himself and go after the Supermax, but you know, how good the Wizards are is going to play into that. Uh, last season, I think Kimball Walker and the Hornets you know, winning uh, 39 games was a, a big reason why he was able to get All-NBA compared to Bradley Beal, who only won 32. And you know, I did this research article this, this summer about how team success uh, correlates with All-NBA players. And you know, it's very rare that you see a team win fewer than 30 games and a guy get All-NBA. Marcus Cousins did it. Um, uh, Anthony Davis did it, I believe. The, the, the most extreme case is Tracy McGrady in the early 2000s. Uh, the Magic won, I believe it was 21 games, and he made All-NBA, but he won the scoring title that year. So if you're on a bad team, you really have to put up some unbelievable numbers, better numbers than Bradley Beal even had last season where he was a 26-5-5 and guy to get All-NBA consideration. But I will say, he did have the most votes, Bradley Beal, of any guy who didn't make it. So he was on the cusp, and I think there's a, a, a benefit from getting close and next year voters kind of having that in their mind that you are already in consideration, maybe I will say this. I've said this before, um, I think on this podcast, certainly to, to people as a voter, I think third team all NBA becomes the thing I sweat more than anything. Like I yeah. look at more film and I sweat it in part because there's a lot of really good players. I mean, we're talking about leaving guys like Bradley Beal and Kai and Clay Thompson off a list. That's really hard to do. So you're you're kind of trying to watch and figure it out. And the other part is that in your mind, as much as you don't let this or try very hard not to let any of this influence your decision making, you know how much money is on the line for these guys. With like, you know, I cover the league. I know exactly what's on the line for these guys. And my vote's only, you know, one one hundredth of it. But you end up sweating it a lot trying to get it what you think is the best option and what you think is is ultimately right. So Oh, oh, no question. You know, I've been a, a voter in the NBA and Major League Baseball, and usually it's like when, when I used to vote for, like, Cy Young or Rookie of the Year in baseball. It's like, of course, that's important to someone. You know, you get the Twitter mentions that people disagree with what you did, but tens of millions of dollars aren't on the line. And yeah. also, I think what makes voting for All-NBA particularly difficult is uh, injuries. You know, if a guy misses 20 games uh, or 25 or 30 games, you know, 58 games out of 82 is the threshold to qualify for statistical leaderboards. Yeah. There is no like, specific criteria for All-NBA in terms of games played. We've seen a lot of guards in particular miss you know, dozens of games and still be an All-NBA consideration. So no question, it's a very difficult process. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard. I, I guess the other question, by the way, when you talk about this, let's say, hypothetically, Bradley Beal makes All-NBA. Now, are the Wizards going to pay that? Or are they going to think more along the lines, if, even if it looks like he's going to make it, are they going to start thinking more like Sacramento with the Marcus Cousins in the, I don't know, you know, they've already obviously given John Wall the Supermax. Do, do they want to do it again? That's going to be a fascinating question. One that we thought we were going to have to address this offseason. You know, I, I right. thought Bradley Beal was going to make all NBA. I had talked to a lot of people, beat writers around the country that came to Washington and what surprised me throughout the season, especially later in the year, is you know beat writers from Denver and, and Portland and Western Conference teams were like, "Yeah, I'm going to vote for Bradley Beal." Yeah, I, I didn't expect that. So I was surprised. Uh, just kind of my own personal straw poll, uh, how uh, Bradley Beal didn't get all 
NBA. But the assumption was if he did get it, the Wizards were going to have to trade him, that they didn't really have a choice. Now, maybe things will be a little bit different uh, next offseason. Uh, we don't know where John Wall will be. Um, maybe there's a slight chance that he returns and he looks decent next season, and maybe they have the option to trade him. But if he doesn't play at all, and even if he does and you know doesn't show a whole lot, it's going to be really difficult to unload John Wall's contract if they if they want to do that. You know, do you have to attach a first round pick or um, uh, an emerging young player? Bradley Beal is really really good, and I think on a max contract, the Wizards would love to keep him. And you know, they've offered him a max contract, and they want him to sign that. Um, but a super max is a completely different dynamic. You've got to be, uh, even though All NBA is a top fifteen player award, essentially, you pretty much got to be better than top fifteen to justify a super max contract. Yes. You, you realistically probably got to be a top five to top ten player, um, you know. And even if you're top ten, top eleven player, it, some of those guys might not be worth the supermax money. It is a prohibitive amount of money in terms of the percentage of the salary cap. And if John Wall wasn't already on the books uh, with his deal and his his injury and and, this, and his age as part of the equation, then it'd probably be a much easier decision with Bradley Beal. But if you ask me now, my guess would be is that if he makes All NBA and is in line for supermax next offseason, then that probably means the end of Bradley Beal in Washington, because uh, you know how things can be untenable if you don't offer a guy a deal yep. um, when, you, when you're el- eligible to. Uh, that's a really tough narrative to control. The other part of this interesting, like, now if I'm Scott Brooks, am I on the hot seat? Um, look, I've got a new GM. I've got a new you know regime ahead on top of me. That is, And I'm not sure that he's won as, as much as they'd hoped. Is his seat getting warm? I think so. You know, it's it's uh, it's kind of a complex situation to evaluate because you know he's he's been. I think there's reasons on both sides why it it could not work. You know, he's going into this the fourth year of his contract when he signed it, a five year, thirty five million dollar deal. You know, he didn't sign up to be a coach of a young team that is probably going to fall way short of the playoffs. And the Wizards didn't hire him to be that guy. Uh, he's making way more money than you would probably pay uh, a the type of coach that you would bring in specifically for this situation. And, you know, he's used to coaching in some big games before. And, you know, I, I've kind of looked uh, around the league at coaches who have um, either sat through or, or gone out the door during transition periods, and it can go several different ways. Like Rick Carlisle stuck through some lean years in Dallas. Now it looks like he's got a pretty competitive team. Yeah. Rivers, to a certain extent, stuck around through a transition period when they were trading some of their, their best players. Alvin Gentry, it looks like, you know, is going to be coaching in New Orleans under a different dynamic. But it can also go the other way, where, uh, you know, Mike Budenholzer, once the Atlanta Hawks started trending downward, uh, there was a, what seemed to be a pretty mutual parting of ways where he was able to go to Milwaukee. You know, Scott Brooks hasn't won a title, but he's got a pretty impressive resume to where, you know, if he, if he did get fired or if there was a mutual parting of ways, he'd probably be able to get a job elsewhere. You know, maybe he'd have to go down a few levels, like, you know, Frank Vogel did when he left the Pacers and, and coached the Magic. So I think there's a, a variety of different ways it could go. And the one thing I would say about Scott Brooks this season, uh, as it pertains to his future, is he's really going to have an opportunity to, I think, reinstall his reputation as a great player development coach. Obviously, that's, I think, the reputation that he had in Oklahoma City. But now that he's been in Washington, he's got a bit of a checkered history of not relying on rookies and you know, not giving minutes to young players, even when it seemed like they deserved them. And, you know, can, is he up for the job? I think it, we'll see. And uh, certainly his future is in doubt beyond this season. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's I. I'm with you. I just anytime I, a I'm just not sure that he's lived up to everything you want, and we'll see if he can develop guys there. But beyond that, man, every time a GM gets changed, you're right. I mean, Doc Rivers has actually done it twice. Remember, I mean, he survived some yeah, really rough true. times in Boston, man. Um, that where they there are plenty of fans there ready to run him out of town, but uh, he can coach. And I think sometimes it takes a good GM to be able to see past the see past the, hey, we're not giving this guy a roster that can win. He can coach just fine. I think Brett Brown went through some of that. And there's still plenty of, there's still plenty of people in Philadelphia that want Brett Brown out. And, um, you know, I still think, I, man, you got to give the guy a chance, right? Like, to me, he's done everything you could ask. So we'll see if he can get them over the hump. Well, well, one quick note on that is that, you know, you wonder if it's going to follow the same parallel as, as uh, a previous cycle of coaches that they had. You know, Eddie Jordan, who got the Wizards of the playoffs, couldn't get over the hump. So basically, as soon as they had a slow start to the season, they fired him. They ended up bringing in Flip Saunders, but the cycle kind of played out. And then they had a transitioning team under Flip Saunders. It didn't make sense to have a guy making that much money with that resume coaching that team. So you wonder if the same thing will happen with Scott Brooks. Yeah, that is a good question. Let's talk about the guys who they did, the moves that they did make under, uh, you know, um, under Shepard this summer. There's some interesting guys there. I think the first thing, obviously, everybody's always excited after the draft. You get Rui Hachimura, uh, who, look, played well um, and was the guy everybody, look, that was a good Gonzaga team and things ran through him. Um, obviously played very well for Japan in FIBA, although let's be careful about translating anything good or bad that happens in FIBA to, uh, to the NBA. But I think that they sh- he's athletic. He, look, his handles could use some work. He's got, his defense has got to get there. But he's kind of got a good athletic wing potential, right? Yeah, I think uh, I like that pick a lot more uh, now after we've seen him in the Summer League and in the World Cup because um, I I saw a guy who I think might translate pretty quickly to the NBA level, which maybe is probably to be expected because he was um, not a one-and-done guy in college. He's a little bit older, um, so theoretically he should have more basketball experience under his belt, but you know, the flip side of that is he didn't start playing basketball until he was 14, so he's a little bit younger in terms of his basketball age. But I, I think he's going to be a pretty good player. I don't know if he's ever going to turn into an all-star. I think we got to see him on the NBA, NBA floor to determine that because, you know, the ceiling, uh, some people question because he is older and he might not, you know, be the highest flying player. Some of these guys who are just unbelievable athletes. He's a very, very athletic player. Um, I think more in line of a Kawhi Leonard-type athlete where it's about his length and you know, his, his versatility and uh, how he kind of uh, moves ab- about uh, the court, especially on offense, uh, being able to do things at all three levels. Um, but he, he's, he's a good player. He's, he's probably the most interesting guy to watch, I think, this season for the Wizards because you know what you have at Bradley Beal, and there's a lot of question marks around the roster, but he's the highest draft pick they've had since Otto Porter. So can he show promise? Can he emerge as a, a third guy uh, with John Wall and Bradley Beal? or at the very least, someone who can be an important rotation player for them moving forward. But um, he's, he, to me, I think is going to be a very smart player. He's a pretty good shooter from the outside. He's very good in the mid-range. Um, he's pretty good around the rim. And I think there's a chance he's going to be a better defensive player than people uh, thought he was coming out of the draft because he's got a wingspan. He's got big hands. Um, he, he seems to uh, be a pretty versatile defender. Can't maybe block shots or, or guard point guards. But I think you know two through four uh, positions he, he can guard those so um, he's certainly the biggest X factor I think looking at this team from like a media perspective who can make this team that might win 30 games a lot more interesting Rui Hachimura is definitely the guy 
the pickup I think I like best of theirs this summer was picking up Bertrands, a Davis Bertrands, who gives this team, look, they every team needs shooting, but this team in particular could use more shooting besides Beal, especially um, you know, now the Beal's going to have the ball in his hands more, isn't kind of working off the ball as much. Uh, plus, he just he's the kind of guy who can do whatever you need, the kind of glue guy, the kind of, uh, I don't know, obviously very Spursian player, right? Like, who can just... Hey, we need him to defend. Let's get him to defend. We need him to do this. We're going to get him to do that. He can do all of those things. Yeah, that was one of the more surprising moves of the offseason. Surprising in a good way because before that, shooting was going to be a major problem for the Wizards. Uh, you know, trading out of Porter is one of the more accurate three-point shooters in basketball. Having Bobby Porter, who shot 40% from three on their roster and then letting him go in free agency, there was really a void there. And as soon as Bertans came in, I think the picture uh, brightened up a little bit for them because he's not only a guy who can stretch the floor, he's one of the best shooting big men in the NBA. You know, he shot about 43% from three last year. So now you combine him, if he's on the floor with Thomas Bryant, you know, defensively that might give you some problems, but you have two big men who can shoot threes. They got Mo Wagner on the bench. He can shoot threes. They could go small with some guys who can stretch the floor. And you look at the lineups, especially after trading for C.J. Miles, who hasn't been the same three-point shooter the last two years that he was uh, previously in his career. And they could put out lineups where basically everyone on the floor is a threat to shoot from deep. And, you know, they could create a lot more space than they did last year. They can do pick-and-pop plays that they weren't able to do last year. So um, I thought that was a big pickup. Um, you know, with how they kind of worked their point guard situation – um, not re-signing Thomas Adoransky and instead going with Gish Smith and Isaiah Thomas and then adding three-point shooters like Bertans and Miles, you have to wonder if the offense is going to change a little bit this year. You know, may, Will they have some sets where the ball's in Bradley Beal's hands where he kind of operates as the point guard, sort of like um, you know James Harden or, or Giannis Antetokounmpo did where you just kind of spread the floor with shooters and let your best player go to work, a guy who can create for others. I wonder if we're going to see more of that this year because, you know, when Isaiah Thomas's recent injury tore a ligament in his thumb, um, I I checked in, you know, with the front office, are the Wizards going to add anyone? And they said no, and and one of the people they brought up as a guy who could play point guard is Bradley Beal. So uh, I think Bertans is going to be a a fantastic addition for the team. You know, maybe he's just a stopgap for a guy like Mo Wagner to take over that role uh, because he's only got one year left on his deal, but... I think there's a chance that he, he proves a pretty valuable piece for this team that they want to keep long term. I got to say, by the way, I just I'm kind of a I'm a kind of a bigger fan of Thomas Sadoransky than most. I think, but I, I think they might end up regretting not keeping him around. We'll see. Um, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, he was the one guy that was the one move I think that they made that uh, I, I think has the highest chance of regret and. One thing I would say is I was kind of in favor of uh, using the stretch provision to get rid of Yon Mahaney's contract. Yeah. Because if you did, you could free up $10 million. I think Thomas Adoransky, the deal he signed with the Bulls, is the type of thing that as soon as Yon Mahaney's off the books, you'd be like, oh, man, we wish we had that guy because he's a talented young player who's continuously improving. Yeah, I think the Bulls I think the Bulls are, and uh, Chicago fans are going to end up liking him. Ish Smith ends up, though, Ish Smith's solid, right? Like, that... He is a competent guy who's going to come in and give you minutes and hustle every night. It's solid, but you know, I question whether he's a starter at this point in his career. Oh, no, he's one years old. He didn't start any games last year for a Pistons team that was fine. You know, they were, they were a 500 team, but you know, he didn't he didn't start any games. It's not like he was backing up you know a superstar point guard. He was backing up Reggie Jackson. Got <laughs> a, a really low percentage, uh, 41, 42 percent from the 
big three-point threat. Um, not a very good defensive player, so I think there's a chance that the Wizards are take a step back defensively this year because Thomas Adoransky, though he wasn't a lockdown defender, was a very uh, capable team defender, and he's committed on that in the floor. So Smith, I think there's a lot to like. You know, the speed, even at his age, he still got it. Um, the Wizards like to push the pace. You know, even with John Wall out last year, they were, they were a top-ten team in terms of pace last season. So they'll be able to do that. Um, but at this point, like I said, I wonder if he's more um, suited for a backup role. And right now, they basically have to have him start, especially with, with Isaiah Thomas stepping this at the beginning of the season, in all likelihood, with his thumb injury. You know, it's Isaiah Thomas, and then behind him, uh, you know, probably undrafted rookie Justin Robinson, Chris Chioza, who has only played 33 NBA minutes, or maybe they could swing a guy over like Troy Brown Jr. or Jordan McRae. But, um, yeah, Isaiah Thomas, fine player. I just question the role that they penciled him in for. With Thomas Bryant, who, by the way, I do like offensively. I mean, the guy does do a lot, and I, I like him as a, as a center, but you brought up Ish Smith doesn't really defend. Achimura is going to get a lot of minutes, and he's not a great defender. Uh, or, you know, he's a rookie, so he's not going to be able to defend all that all that well yet. Um, Bertrands is a great defender. This is potentially not... Defense could end up being their Achilles heel in a lot of ways, right? Like, this is a team that's just not built to be a great defensive roster. No question. You know, last year they were one of the worst defensive teams in basketball. If it weren't for the Hawks and the Cavaliers, who put up some of the worst numbers in league <laughs> yeah. history. Uh, they would have put up some of the worst numbers in league history. It was the worst defense, you know, by defensive rating and, and other measures in franchise history. And I think there's a good chance that it's worse this year because Isaiah Thomas and Ish Smith, uh, even if they're healthy, aren't going to be a good defensive point guards. That's going to put way more pressure on Bradley Beal than he even had last year with Thomas Adoransky for most of the time, or John Wall, who you know, clearly at times wasn't giving a full effort and wasn't fully healthy, but was still a better defensive player than you know if you put Isaiah Thomas out there at his height yeah. and with his hip issues. And there's not going to be a whole lot of help on the back end, as you mentioned. You know, Bertans isn't going to block a ton of shots. Mo Wagner, if he gets minutes, isn't going to block a ton of shots. Thomas Bryant, I think, has uh, the tools to become a good defensive player. Um, I think he could be a good defensive rebounder. I think he has the athleticism, the quickness, and the instincts to be a pretty decent rim protector. Not a big shot blocker, but maybe he could alter shot. Um, but certainly he's not there yet if, if you look at what he did last year. And then rebounding is going to be another concern as well. Some of these big men they have are, you know, have some promise on offense, but they're not big-time rebounders. And that was a major problem last year that I think went under the radar with, uh, with Dwight Howard going down. He only played nine games. And once he was out, they kind of expected him to do what Martin Gortat did, which is get rebounds and set screens. And they didn't have either of those things. And with rebounds, I, I kind of gained a new appreciation for the defensive rebound last year because I saw so many times where the Wizards would force a missed shot. If you force a miss, it's not a stop until you get that defensive yeah. rebound. So um, you got to complete the play. And the Wizards right now don't look like they're going to be able to force misses or get those rebounds. So I think there's a chance uh, they have one of the very worst defensive teams in basketball next season. And that uh, if you're going to point to one reason why they'll fall short of the playoffs, that'll probably be it. How optimistic are they about, I mean, I think there's a lot of us out there kind of rooting for Isaiah Thomas to find a way back and find some good paydays, in, you know, after everything that has happened to him. I, I, the thumb injury is a bit fluky. It doesn't tie into the, the, you know, the hips and everything else that he's had going on. But how optimistic are they? How do they think he's looked? Um, it sounds like, 
I, I imagine he came to this situation thinking, man, I can get some run. I get some chance. I'll get a chance to prove myself. Yeah, I think last year, you know, he took uh, somewhat of a redshirt year with the Denver Nuggets, and even when he felt like he was healthy, he couldn't really crack the rotation. So this offseason, it was kind of like, you know, looking for an opportunity to play, as you said. And he found in Washington a, a, a situation where if he's healthy, he's a top two point guard on the roster, you know, for better mm-hmm. or worse. Um, how much you can expect to him, of him, you know, we'll have to see. I, I agree that it's, I guess, the glass half full way of looking at things that it's not the hit, it's the thumb, even though it's on a shooting hand. Those injuries, you know, in my experience, don't seem to be that uh, chronic ones that, yeah. you know, linger. Um, you know, certainly when he comes back, it's going to be tough shooting the ball because he, he, it's a shooting hand and he'll have to knock off the rust. But um, this guy, I think the expectations need to be set pretty low because. He played 12 games last year. He's played 36 games total uh, the last two years, and he shot 36% in those two seasons. So he hasn't been able to shoot. I think his quickness and his ability to move around the floor is extra important because he's got to run to open space because he's not going to shoot over anyone. And if he doesn't have that explosion and if he can't jump as high as he did, he doesn't get the same lift on his jump shot, then he's not going to get uncontested shots. So uh, I, I thought that the Wizards should have um, created a better insurance plan at point guard uh, for him and not just penciled him, him in to be one of the top two players on, on the depth chart. I thought it was risky, and that was because of the hit and because of his recent production. Now he's got this new injury, but uh, right now it looks like the Wizards are going to you know, be in a really, really difficult spot at point guard. And if, and if he can't reclaim some semblance of what he used to be, then it's going to be a really long season at that position because as I kind of outlined earlier, they don't have an ideal third point guard option. And your third point guard is generally not going to be that important of a position. But I think when you pencil Isaiah Thomas in, given his recent history, it's going to be very important. And right now it looks like they might have to potentially rely on a guy like Justin Robinson, who you know, just a few months ago went undrafted out of Virginia Tech. Is there some thinking there that they're not going to make any kind of long-term move just because Wall comes back next year and... I imagine they would actually love to trade John Wall, but that's there's no way that's happening for a year or two, right? Yeah, I don't see how you get it done. Uh, I, I see a lot of scenarios that people throw out there. I, I just don't know anyone who's going to take on that contract no. with as serious of an injury. Yeah, I, that so might I, honestly, that, to me, that's the I'm most untradeable contract in the NBA. Like I, I'm not sure what contract is more untradeable than that one right now, just because of the injuries. Yeah, because of the injury, because of the nature of his game. Um, because of his age, uh, you know, he, he needs quickness and speed to be the guy that he's been throughout his career. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to require an adjustment to his game in all likelihood, right? And yeah. that adjustment has yet to be seen. So he comes out and he changes the way he plays. I think Kyle Lowry is probably the best example of someone that you should try to emulate who uh, doesn't necessarily look for his shot before he looks for others and is a committed player on the defensive end. If John Wall can do that, even if he doesn't, justify all of his contract, then maybe he becomes a tradable player. Um, but you got to see it, because obviously, um, you know, there's a reputation for John Wall, uh, fair or not, about how coachable he is and how much he'll sacrifice to, uh, you know, in interest of the greater good for the team. And, and I think this will be the ultimate test for him in that regard. Um, so the Wizards, I think in, in a sense, the Wizards are committed to John Wall, though, that I tell me else this is an interesting uh, case as an owner, because I think it, he's more loyal than the average owner, and the example that I point to a lot of BC sports fans is that a couple summers ago, uh, the just NHL team, the Washington Capitals, they 
lost in the first round of the playoffs. And a lot of people said, you got to trade Alex Ovechkin. He's obviously their best player. He's one of the best players in NHL history. Kevin Oak just said, no, I'm not doing that. The next summer, they won the Stanley Cup. Now, that's an extreme example. The Wizards aren't going to win the NBA Finals. But I think if they were to get to the conference finals and, and win something of substance with John Wall in the mix, then what that would allow Kevin Oak to do is tell people, I told you so. Because he's been able to do that a lot over the past year or so, say, hey, everyone told me to do this with the cap. I did it, and look what happened. I think uh, he would love to not only win and get to where this team hasn't been since the 70s, which is the conference finals, but he wants to do that with John Wall, uh, for better or worse. As we've been saying, there's some long-term potential here, and there's some long-term plays, but short-term, this is going to be a rough year. (laughs) I mean, what's what's the high end for them? You were talking mid-20s and wins. I was thinking... I mean, if everything goes right and Bradley Beal has a monster year and something, they're still probably mid thirties somewhere. I mean, I, I, I and probably just probably maybe they could hang. I mean, the East is so wide open once you get past. I think the top four, maybe they could hang in, around in the playoff picture a little bit, but at the bottom. But I, I doubt it. I imagine they're just going to be on the tier to, below that. From a win loss perspective, you're absolutely right. Um, I think their ceiling is. 35 to 38 wins, and the Eastern Conference is even thinner than it was last year because Kawhi Leonard left, and and um, you know Kevin Durant came over, but he's not healthy, and um, you know I think it's the type the type of year where you might be able to get into the playoffs with 38 wins. So yeah. from a win loss perspective, this season that's the best case scenario, right? But I think big picture, the, what they really want out of this season is progress from their young players, four or five of them, three or four of them, whatever it is show enough promise to become either building blocks for next year or, I think, more importantly, trade assets for next offseason. So I think this year is all about kind of uh, building a foundation to be better the following year, um, and that's probably the goal that they're going to be focusing on more uh, than winning and, and being in the playoff picture. But, you know, if they do surprise, and if they are, you know, in the 35 to 40 win range, um, and it, maybe they have the eighth seed come uh, mid-February, that's what I think will make things really interesting with John Wall and his injury recovery. Um, you know, that's yeah. when I think the futures of certain people like Scott Brooks and Tommy Shepard will come into play. I think that's when the competitive edge and the competitive uh, drive of John Wall uh, will come into play. So can they keep this guy off the court, as they said that they probably will do for the entire season, if the team is unexpectedly better than we thought? You know, I think that's going to be a really, really interesting debate if we, come, if we get to that point. Because if you look at the calendar and how the season starts a little bit later, you know, he could take extra time. He could take 13 months to recover from this Achilles surgery and still come back to play about 18 games. Um, so that's that's a good amount of games. So it, it will be interesting if that happens. Uh, it is distinctly possible. I imagine this is one of those situations, though, where they're kind of like, if they're the 13 seed and, and out of it, they're going to tell them to stay home. But you're right, man. If they surprise and they're hanging around and they're in that thing... It, that, especially with Ted Leontes as an owner, I just I imagine that they're suddenly thinking about things differently. Yeah, how do they operate at the trade deadline? If that's the case, you know. Yeah. So it, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of things that can affect John Wall's timeline. Like we've talked about the lack of point guard depth. I, I don't think that's going to be a consideration. They're not going to, you know, quote unquote, rush him back because they, yeah. they have a problem with point guard. But you know, if they are better than they expected, and and you know. They've got Bradley Beal's future in mind, and they know he wants to go to the playoffs. He wants to be on a team that, you know, that wants to win. Um, it could get really, really interesting. 
And you're going to be having front and center with for all of it uh, right there next to, well, the president really doesn't go, this president doesn't really go to games, so there will be no. <laughs> no, although I, I saw there was some talk about him going to some games, some India games in India. I guess there's a showcase over there. there yeah, there is actually, <laughs> the well, the Kings and I want to say the Pacers, I know it's the Kings through Vivek are going are going to play over there. I'm I'm sure if he goes over there, everything will go smoothly, just as always. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I go to a lot of uh, Wizards games, and uh, all of, and I go to a lot of Nationals games in D.C., and it's it's pretty rare that you see, like, a, a president or even a vice president show up to a game. Um, you know, you see a lot of ambassadors. You see a lot of uh, big politicians like congressmen and, and, and senators when, you know, a, a team from their constituency is there, you know, Nancy Pelosi will show up every time the Warriors are in town, but uh, it's such a big deal when a president shows up security-wise, and uh, obviously, you know, you wonder how they'll be received by the crowd. Yeah, 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 by the way, I'm, I, like, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, look, I'm, <clears throat> I grew up a Dodger fan, it's already impossible to get in and out of that building if you, <laughs> if you ever tried to, <laughs> like, as much as when Obama would come out here, Obviously, he came out here a lot for fundraising in California because that was such a demo, you know, strong Democratic base. And the reaction from locals was, we love Obama, but man, he just screws up the traffic even worse. <laughs> like he just the traffic's already bad. And now he's going to the, you know, if he goes anywhere on the west side, it's a, it's just a mess. So, uh, yeah, I imagine there's a whole lot of that going on out there. Um, Chase, I'm, hopefully I'll see you as the uh, season winds around and we'll, we'll talk some more and and have some stuff worth talking about. You can catch his work. At uh, NBC Sports Washington, uh, uh, yeah, NBC Sports Washington, and uh, where can they follow you uh, on all the fine social media thingies? Oh, yeah. We that just made me sound Twitter. old, by the way. Social media thingies made me just sound really old. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at ChaseYouthNBCF, and, you know, it'll be an interesting season from a media's perspective because you've got a lot of new players, so I'm hoping to be the guy who, you know, tells the stories that people haven't heard before about these, these new guys. That should be interesting, yeah. And, and Hachimura seems like an interesting guy, uh, whatever kind of player he ends up de- developing into. So he brings a lot of media, by the way. I don't know if oh yeah, no, I was in, I was in Vegas. We were both in Vegas. It was kind of. I ended up not doing so. I'm probably part of the reason we didn't run into each other. I'm like, man, I'm not messing with this. <laughs> there was so many people there. Yeah, um, it's amazing. They're all national networks from Japan. So uh, that's what's. This is going to be one of the more unique seasons if you put that in the equation you know uh, in the nba because you've got the team that you know might win 29 games but internationally they're going to be a hit should be interesting hey that means that you guys will be end up the, the league is going to give you the japan game next year good good luck with that and have fun oh uh, yeah no question no question all right man thanks a lot uh we will talk to you down the line and we'll be back more uh in the coming weeks with uh plenty of nba previews podcasts here at nbc sports Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.